Well, I'd like to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke this morning. We are going to be in Luke 19, beginning in verse 11, as we continue our study through this longest book in the New Testament. And it is, of course, a great delight and food for our souls, and I trust it will be so today. Luke 19, verse 11, uh, we're going to consider a wonderful and powerful parable that our Lord has taught us, and we will be working through this parable verse by verse. And so I would invite you to have a copy of God's Word open. You'll find that on page 878 in the Pew Bible, if you would like to use that. And I think it will help you to understand what God is teaching us if you have a copy of His Word open throughout this message. So, Luke 19, verse 11. Hear now the Word of God. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. And said to them, engage in business until I come. But the citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that, every, that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Our Father, we are humbled, I hope, by the reality in which we are about to engage, that we might, by Your grace to us, consider the words of our Lord as we set our hearts upon this Scripture. We ask You, Father, that You will bestow us with even more kindness by sending Your Spirit to rest upon us, that we might have minds to understand these truths, but more than that, Father, 
that we would have hearts to obey them. That we would rejoice in how You have revealed Yourself to us and the instructions in which You have given us as to how we are to live in this life. And Father, I think what we will consider today is contrary to what our culture instructs us. And pray, Father, that we would delight in the way of life which You have ordained for us. So help us, I think, many of us to repent today that we might more fully and more passionately and joyfully submit all of our life to our King Jesus. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. When King Herod the Great died, he left half his kingdom to his son named Archelaus. In fact, I I want you, if you keep your finger here, Luke 19, I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 2. Just go a couple books towards the beginning of the Bible. You'll find Mark, then you'll find Matthew. In Matthew chapter 2, we here see this man Archelaus mentioned for us. Gives us a little context as to who he is. You know Matthew 2 verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go, from the, go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So this is Joseph, Mary, Jesus, baby Jesus, have fled to Egypt because Herod the Great was after them, after Jesus. Herod's died. Now the angel says, Time to go back to Israel. Verse 21, And he, that's Joseph, arose and took the child, that's Jesus, and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod. He was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that, that what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. So you note here that Archelaus is ruling over Judea now that his father is dead and and God doesn't want Jesus anywhere near Archelaus. So he s- sends another dream saying, Don't settle in Judea in the south. Go north into the rural areas of Galilee. So we see that Archelaus was reigning there. But he was not reigning like his father as king. In fact, in order for Archelaus to be declared king of Judea, just like his father Herod, he would have to go petition the emperor himself. In fact, he did that that exact thing. When Herod died, Archelaus gathered a large contingency of people and they traveled to Rome and there he expected to be crowned as king over Judea by Caesar himself. But interestingly, upon arriving in Rome, Archelaus discovered he was not the only one to make this journey from Judea to Rome for 50 Jewish men had also made this journey in order to oppose Archelaus' coronation. In fact, they would claim along with 8,000 other Jews living in Rome at that time, in an audience before Caesar himself, that Archelaus was unfit to govern. In particular, they would explain that during the Passover, Archelaus had slaughtered 3,000 worshipers, throwing their dead bodies into the temple, and they said, this man can't rule over us, and they appealed to the emperor to withhold the kingly crown from this madman. 
Well, Caesar listened to them, and he listened to Archelaus and all his supporters, and then for days considered his decision, finally reaching a conclusion that satisfied no one. In fact, the historian Josephus records, quote, he gave half the kingdom to Archelaus with the title Ethnarch, promising forever to make him king should he prove his deserts. Well, and so Archelaus came back, kind of wounded back to Judea, not declared king. He would never be declared king, but you were probably not surprised. He wasn't very pleased with the 50 men that went and opposed him, and he uh, brought about swift and severe punishment on those who dared stand against his rule. Now, with, it's with this history in their mind that Jesus tells a story of a nobleman who goes away in order to receive a kingdom. And this nobleman is opposed by the very citizens of that land. But in this story that Jesus tells, it's not the nobleman who's unrighteous, but it's the actual people who stand in opposition to his gracious rule. The reason why Jesus is telling this parable is recorded in verse 11. So we read, and these things, I'm back in Luke 19, by the way, and these things, he proceeded to, as they heard these things, excuse me, he proceeded to tell them a parable because... He was near to Jerusalem. Now we know from Luke 9 through Luke 19, Jesus is traveling, left Galilee in the north, traveling down to Jerusalem. He's teaching people what it means to follow him, to be his disciple. He's healing people. We saw at the end of Luke 18, he heals this man named Blind Bartimaeus. He's all these wonderful, powerful demonstrations of, of his divine abilities. It's at this time, though Luke doesn't record it, that Jesus famously and publicly raises a man who has been dead for four days. You can read about that in John chapter 11. His name is Lazarus. Jesus is also continually referring to himself as the Son of Man, which is a divine title from Daniel chapter 7 of the coming divine king. He's preaching the kingdom of God. Crowds are following him. Hysteria is building. And Luke says he's near Jerusalem. He's 16 miles from the holy city. And Passover is, is just about 10 days away. And by, in fact, by the time that Jesus gets into Jerusalem, everyone is waiting for him. And the crowds, they go out and meet him in the streets, as we will see in our coming study, with palm branches, crying out, Hosanna, declaring him to be the Davidic king. Right? This hysteria is building that the kingdom of God is coming in fullness. Read on in verse 11. And because they suppose that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So everyone had concluded by this point, He's coming to Jerusalem to reestablish the Davidic reign. There's going to be this mighty outpouring of redemptive power. Rome is going to be kicked out. And God is going to place the government upon his shoulders. And of his rule, as the prophet said, there will be no end. Right? They stand, in their mind at least, at the threshold of the messianic reign of the kingdom of God. And because they believe this, Jesus says, I want to tell you a story. A story of a man who is to be king, but he has to go away and receive his kingdom. He's trying to get them to settle down a little bit because there's going to be a delay. This is not what you think it is. I'm going to Jerusalem, yes, to fulfill prophecy, but not the prophecy that you think of. I'm going to be pierced for your transgressions. 
I'm going to make peace between you and God by bearing your iniquity. Right? There's going to be a delay. And later, I'm going to return in power. And when I come, at that time, the lion will lie with the lamb. Right? At that time, there will be the eternal reign of peace. But there's a delay. Now, the pe- God, Jesus' followers, they struggled with this, didn't they? Let me let, turn over to Acts chapter 1. Let me show you. So he teaching, he's going to teach them, hold on guys, there's going to be a delay. Acts 1, Jesus has been raised from the dead, okay? And they think, well, that must be, the delay's over because they say in Acts 1 verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel, right? Is now the time? Answer, no, okay? I need to go away. And eventually they would understand this. Turn over to Acts chapter 3. We won't flip around much more, but you might find this interesting. Eventually they're getting an understanding, okay, he has to be away for a little while. Acts 3 verse 19. This is a sermon that Peter is preaching in the temple courtyards. Peter says, Repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send... The Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Now note verse 21. Whom heaven must receive until the time of the restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouths of his holy prophets long ago. And so they're, they're getting it finally. He needs to go away. Heaven will receive him until when? The time of restoration for all things. And he will come back. And, and so there's a delay there. And Jesus tells us this parable in order to instruct you and I what to do during the delay. What to do it while we wait. Now, I think this is, I, you know, in my study, I just think this is such an incredibly important parable for us. In fact, I, I, what we're, we'll see in a moment is that this parable is not going to give you helpful hints on how to have a fulfilled life. And this parable will not give you suggestions on how to do well in business or, or do well in school or even make you feel good about yourself. All those things I, I trust are important, but that's not what Jesus is setting out to do. Rather, he's giving us truths that if we would actually obey them, a hundred billion years from now, our life will be impacted. And on and on and on and on if we heed these truths now. And so I'm not sure it could be any more that if we listen to Christ today and obey Him, I tell you, your eternity will be changed. And so may God help us to hear and to listen as we consider the truths of this coming King. Truth number one, quickly, probably don't need to say this, but in case I do, the coming King's Jesus. Okay, in case there was some ambiguity... It's Christ who's returning. No, verse 12. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Jesus is the nobleman. He is the son of the high king, right? And he's going to depart to a far country where he will receive a kingdom. That is, Jesus will leave this earth and he will be crowned the king of kings in the courts of heaven by his father. For instance, we know in Daniel 7, the Bible says the Son of Man, the Jesus' favorite title, will be presented before the Ancient of Days. That's God. 
And Daniel 7 says, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. So God's going to give him a kingdom. Or consider Paul in Philippians 2, that God will highly exalt him and give him a name that is above every name. And so Jesus gone away to be crowned, and after being crowned, He's going to return and establish fully the kingdom of God. We sang about that today, did we not? With, I hope, joy in our hearts. That he, when He returned clothed in white, and the, the light piercing the night, He's going to, at His backside will be a hundred million angels as He comes to establish His eternal reign forever. He's coming! In fact, I was driving here to church this morning, and I was a little... A little uh, after 7 a.m. and I, I head east to get to church. And I'll tell you, I don't know, it was just, it just the way it worked out. The sun was just cresting the horizon, just, just down Highway 7. And I, my heart started racing. And I, I felt, here it comes. This is it. Right? I don't know if you ever get like, I'm ready to go any day now, Lord. I mean, we don't even have to finish this sermon. Come on home and, and bring us to you that we might live forever. Christ is coming. He is. I don't know when. Bible says he's coming soon, according to his time. And so let's say he doesn't come today. Okay? What do we do in the meantime? What are we supposed to do tomorrow if he doesn't come today? What are we supposed to do this afternoon? How should we live while we wait for the coming King Jesus? And Jesus explains to us, secondly, that we are to steward the resources he's entrusted us with. The coming King left us with his resources. In fact, before the king leaves in this story, he, he calls his servants together, according to verse 13. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. Now, a mina is a, a sum of money worth a hundred drachmas. Okay? So hopefully that clears it up for you. Okay? <laughs> a drachma is a day's wage. If you're a laborer, so mine is about a hundred days wages. Maybe we would say like three or four months of wages. And so I'm just throwing out a number. Let's just say around $20,000. That's the value of a mina today. Now that's not really important. It's just mina details. Okay. Um, okay. All right. That's all right. I had to. It's right there. All right. <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> So the, but the master gives them the minas. No more of that nonsense. He, there's very clear expectations on the servants. He says to them, verse 13, engage in business, right? In other words, expand my money, multiply it, investment, invest it, use it, right? Build my estate, build my wealth. He gives them this money. Now, here's the question. Whose money is it? It's his. He gave them his money. He says, engage in business on my behalf. He does not give them the money and say, you know what? Go buy yourself something nice. Because when I come back, I'd really like to see you in nice clothes, living in a nice house. Right? He says, here's the money. It's my money. You manage it. This is the biblical principle called stewardship. And I think it's one of the most important biblical principles on how to live we are not owners. We are stewards. What you have is from God. Every year, God gives me thousands of dollars. Right? You think you give it to me, and in some way you do. But it's God who gives it to me. And He says, manage this for me. 
And, 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 and he says, I, when you use this money, I want you to think how, uh, you, how he wants me to spend it, right? And, and I, I own a home, but it, it, I really don't. I mean, I have a mortgage, um, but God owns the home. And he wants it to manage, me to manage my home for his purposes and use that resource to build and expand his kingdom. And we have, we have relationships and we're to use those relationships to build his, it's all his. And I know I've been sharing with you kind of our journey into foster care and, and, uh, this kind of just a big reality for us. I'm sorry if maybe I talk too much about it, but, um, this is this idea of stewardship has really impacted Allegra and I as we become aware that there are there are these children that they don't have dads like most of them don't have dads. I on Friday I sat in, in the government uh, government the child support enforcement office sitting for um, 40 minutes with a man who is in in a court mandated paternity test. Um, and this man is most likely the father of the baby that we are caring for. And for 40 minutes, he wouldn't even look at his daughter. And these children, they don't have dads. And, and they don't have moms that can take care of them. And there was a day in which Allegra, becoming aware of this, Allegra looked at me and said, well, you're a dad, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I'm a dad. And I looked at her and said, you're a mom, aren't you? And she said, yeah, I'm a mom. Well, why don't we be dads and moms to those who don't have dads and moms, at least for a little while? Can we do that? And, and we want to l- use the, the resources and the relationships and all that God has given us in order to expand His kingdom. It's all His. I don't know, is that how you think about your life? I'm thankful to God for faithful stewards. As I share with you often, I was uh, 17 years old when I walked into a church in Fountain Valley, California. And this is the... First time in my life I would ever voluntarily walk into a church. And, and there was a man named David. And that night, that Wednesday night, David took this kid named Stephen. And he said, let me tell you the gospel. And I heard the gospel. And you know how much of David's salary I paid? <laughs> Zero. And I started worshiping in a church building. And you know how much of that church building I paid for? Nothing. And I, I sat in a pew every Sunday. And you know how many pews I bought? None of them. And I went to classes that were organized by other people, and I, and, and I, I got involved in ministry that, that other people were leading, right? And, and my eternity was changed. Forever, I, I would, and not just me, my girlfriend named Allegra became my wife, and my parents became Christians, and my brothers became Christians, and their wives became Christians, and her brother became a Christian, and her mom became a Christian, and God began to change our lives forever because he had faithful stewards who give and serve and to use the language of this parable engage in business in order to expand the kingdom of our god i showed up and have been blessed because people are generous now this is not just about money now we talk stewardship this is your job Please understand that the job that you have, God's giving you that job. And he says, okay, I want you to work for me. I want you to love others. I want you to bring me honor. We're gifted. All of us are gifted. Are you using your gifts to serve other people like the scripture clearly teaches us? We all have the gospel. We're entrusted with that. Are we faithfully sharing the truths in which God has given us? 
right? Taking risks to tell other people about Jesus because we're not supposed to have safe little lives where we hide the truth so we don't get in trouble or don't get in awkward situations. We have, we have families that God has given. Are we parenting our children and our grandchildren in order to help them advance in a worldly way? Or are we teaching, are we parenting them in such a way that they understand that they are stewards too? And that their goal in life is to serve the king. Jesus is gone, but he's coming back. And in the meantime, he expects us, his servants, to use what he's entrusted us with. In fact, this is the whole reason for the delay. Why is he delaying? Because he wants the kingdom to abound. He wants more people to come in into his kingdom. You, brothers and sisters in Christ, you are a servant of the King of Kings. You do not exist in this life to maximize your comfort, maximize your ease, maximize your convenience. You exist for God's purposes. And everything you have exists for God's purposes. And so what I I want to do just at this point, we're going to pause the sermon if we can, and we're going to have a little time of invitation right here in the middle of this message. And I'm I want us all just, we're just going to pray quietly just for a moment. I'm just, by the way, I'm stealing this idea from another pastor that blessed me with it. And I, I want you to silently in your own heart to acknowledge these truths to God. I want you quietly, just for a moment, thank God for your job and to ask Him to help you use it for His kingdom purposes. Will you, will you pray, all of us with heads bowed and eyes closed, let's, let's pray to our Lord. And acknowledge it's His job. He's given it to us. Help us to use it for His kingdom. And now as as we, we stay in a spirit of prayer, I want you to acknowledge that God owns your home. I want you to say, Lord, my home is your home. My car is your car. Help me to use it for your kingdom. And now I want you to thank God for all the money you have. And I want you to tell Him that it's His money and that you will do whatever He wants you to do with it. You say, please direct me to use your money. You tell them that now. Now, lastly, if God brings anything else that you have, your relationships, your ease, your gifts, whatever it might be, you tell them, Lord, help me to steward that which you've entrusted me with. Lord Jesus, everything we have is given from You. It's Yours. Help us to be faithful in our use of it. We pray in Your name. Amen. Some people hate this uh, way of thinking. Maybe, maybe you're uncomfortable with this. Maybe you couldn't pray some of that. Some people don't like this. In fact, Jesus said as much as we see in verse 14. 
But his citizens hated him and he sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. So as he goes to be crowned king, the citizens, now these are not the servants. There's two groups. You've got ser- servants. They re- each receive the mina. Then you have citizens. And the citizens don't want him to be king. Just like the 50 Jewish men who opposed Archelaus. Right? In fact, many Jews would oppose Jesus. Would they not? We have no king but Caesar. They would say to Pilate. They opposed King Jesus. And it's just not the Jews of his day. It's people today, right? There are those people who, who oppose Jesus. There are those people who hate Jesus. Right? And do not want him to be king. You've encountered people like that. They will say things to you like, if Jesus only accept those who have faith in him, then I don't want any part of him. Right? You've heard that. You've heard people say, if Jesus says this is a sin, or don't do this, or don't do that, or if he tells me I can't do this, then I, I don't want him as my king. I, I introduced you last week to the wonderful story of Rosaria uh, Champagne Butterfield. And before she came to Christ, she said, stupid, pointless, menacing, that is what I thought of Christians and their God, Jesus. Right? Stupid, pointless, menacing. They oppose this king. Right? So there'll be people who oppose this king. But here's the reality. Whether you, he, it's not, he's not up for election, right? So it's not like you could vote for somebody else. So if you oppose him, like it or not, Jesus is king. He's king of kings. Uh, the, the Father in heaven has declared that. And he's coming back. Verse 15. When he returned. So the coming king is coming. Uh, is returning, and when he comes, this is extraordinary to me, he intends not just to save his servants, but to reward them. The coming king will reward. Verse 15, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. So Jesus is returning with the authority given to him by the Father. And when he comes, Christian, listen, he intends to call his servants to himself and, and settle accounts. He says, okay, what did you do with what I gave you? Second Corinthians 5.10 We must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body. Okay? We'll all appear there. And now he calls them together. Notice what happens with the first servant. This is the kind of guy you want to be. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. So his return is a thousand percent. Right? So King Jesus says, okay, how did it go? And he says, well, I took your 20 grand and I've turned it into $200,000. Now we're not told how he did this. It's, it's easy to manage, imagine he was working hard and taking risks and expending himself and trying his best to multiply this investment. And, and the reason why is not because he gets it. It's not because he's working on commission, right? It's not his money. It's not his profit. He's simply doing it because he loves the king. And I want to be faithful to my king. And I don't know if you can imagine what joy and excitement must be in his heart when he's called before this judgment seat and says, Lord, this is what I've done with what you have given me. 
I like how one imagined the scene saying the man's eyes are sparkling. He is bubbling over with enthusiasm and is thoroughly thrilled and, as it were, invites his master to start counting. Look what I've done with my life. Right? Are, you, are you serving the master in this way? Out of a love for him, out of a joy, out of the idea that one day you get to present to him what you have done your labors on his behalf. Sometimes, and I know it, I experience it, and I know you do too. Sometimes in our service, we're just beat down, aren't we? Worn out. Not sure we want to continue. Well, let this joy be in your heart that one day you will stand before the king and you'll get to present to him what you have done on his behalf. And I'll tell you, no, no matter how hard it is in this life, he will far Make up for it in the life to come as you see the master's response in verse 17. And he said to him, well done, good servant. So he praises him. And as if that were not enough, he rewards him. Read on. He says, because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And then there's another servant, verse 18. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. And what we're learning here is that, is that our roles and res- responsibilities and rewards in eternity depend upon our stewardship now. Okay? So... Some servants will be more richly blessed than other servants based upon the life they're living. All true servants, by the way, will enter the kingdom of God. But servants will be rewarded differently based upon their faithfulness. And I I think this is important truth to understand because in this life, Christians don't often get rewarded for Christian servants. I went to, uh, with with Josh and, and Dave, we went to a missions conference on Friday. And one of the things one of the missionaries said is, missionaries are not well thought of in our day. Who are you to think you should go and tell other people to convert to your religion? Right? Following Christ is not going to earn you a lot of earthly rewards, and increasingly so. Of course, we get peace and joy and hope. But I'm telling you, when Jesus comes, he's going to bring bountiful blessings to his faithful servants as he says here in verse 18, 17, I find this phrase very interesting. He says, you've been faithful with very little, right? Since you did well with this little thing called money, I'm going to put you in charge of 10 cities. In other words, it seems like this life in, in some sense is a test um, to see what we'll do with the opportunities and the resources and the life we're given. It's a, it's a game. We're, we're, you're, you're playing with Monopoly money. Right? The game's going to be over one day, one way or another. You're going to have to turn all the money back into to the bank, right? But if you use it properly, he's going to reward us. And, ex- and amazingly, he says, he rewards this guy. He says, I, you made ten minas. Now you get to manage ten cities. And the other guy gets to manage five cities. So the reward is actually responsibility. That you're faithful when you prove yourself with a little. And, and since you've, you've, you've taken that responsibility over little, well, here's more responsibility. And what he's saying is we don't start with big things. We start with little things. And we're faithful in the little responsibilities. And he'll give us more responsibilities. I love how Hudson Taylor, the great pioneering missionary, said, A little thing is a little thing. Okay? 
But faithfulness in a little thing is a great thing. And that's what Jesus teaches. You've been faithful with a little thing. That's a great thing. And now I'm going to reward you with this awesome responsibility of governing 10 cities. Now, when you hear that, I already know what you're thinking because I'm thinking it as well. Right? Um, like, I would like to be rewarded with less responsibility. Right? Okay? Okay. How, how do I get, uh, and I reward you with zero cities. That's the reward I'm looking for. Right? How do I get that? Please, um, I have enough re- authority now and responsibility. I would like to take a break. Now, that's in your heart, isn't it? It's in my heart. Let me give you three truths to get that out of your heart. One, we are made to work. And I, I, you go on vacation, don't you? And, and most of you are happy. It's like, okay, I like vacation, but I'm ready for it to be over. I want to get back to being productive. We're made to be productive. That's the image of God in us. God's a worker. Jesus says, my father's been working from the very beginning, continues to do so. So do not think of eternity as a, you know, forever long vacation. Okay? There will, there's going to be good, productive labor, and, and you will want a good, productive job. Second thing is, is that responsibility is simply an opportunity to serve others. And it's an opportunity to honor King Jesus. And I think in your heart, every true servant wants this. I want opportunities to honor my king. The third truth I want to just remind you of is that when he comes and redeems all things, the earth will be perfect. Okay? He's going to redeem us. The, the great Christian hope is not the immortality of the soul, but it is the resurrected body. Jesus is the firstborn from, above, from, from the dead. He says, touch me. Give me something to eat. I'm really Jesus. I have a new body. You and I will have a new body. And Romans 8 tells us on the heels of our full redemption, all of creation will be perfected. And we are going to live at that time evidently in glorious, beautiful cities where God's people dwell in love and and harmony. And there's going to be culture there and creativity. And there's going to be production and work and feasting and joy. And so if you're running a city in this place, you're not fixing sewer problems. Okay? You're not working through police reform and trying to figure out unsettled disputes and managing overcrowded prisons. No, there's a world without death and sin and hospitals and police and courts and no more natural catastrophes, right? No more elections, no more political parties, right? If you're mayor, there won't be an R next to your name. There won't be a D next, there'll be a J next to your name, right? It will be a one party system forever. We're all in the Jesus party. And Jesus says to these men, here's 10 cities to love and to serve and to help these people for my glory, right? It's the creation mandate, exercise dominion. My friends, you're going to want a a good work to do forever. And Jesus comes to reward good stewards. You faithful a little, I'll reward you with a lot, right? And this is what the Lord is teaching us, that we are to take the opportunities we have now. You don't live for yourself. We're not here to check the boxes. We're here to take risks to spread His kingdom. The missionary Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. I tell you, on the authority of God's Word this morning, if you sacrifice for King Jesus, you will not be disappointed. All your sacrifice, all of it. Put this in your heart when it gets hard. All your sacrifice in this life will be worth it when we hear from our King, well done. Well 
done. King Jesus will say that to you. Does that not warm your heart? King Jesus is going to ask you one day, what did you do with the life I gave you? Live to prepare for that conversation. Because it's not going to go well for everyone. As we see fourth and last, the coming king will punish. He'll punish. There's a third servant, isn't there? We see him in verse 20. Then another came saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. So in defiance to the Lord's commands, he wraps his mina in a hanky, stuffs it under his mattress until the king returns. Instead of using the resources for use, he refuses to use the gifts in which God has given him. And he says, okay, you're back. Here's your 20 grand back. Why did he hide it? Verse 21 tells us, for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and you reap what you do not sow. In other words, it's not my fault. It's your fault. You're severe. The real issue is not that I'm lazy, the servant says. The real issue is, king, you're evil. You take from people what's not yours. And you are harsh. And I tell you, this will be a common excuse in this day. People will make excuses. I didn't steward faithfully what you entrusted me with. Right? Because I was too busy. I had too much going on. Right? I, 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 I didn't have enough. You didn't give me enough in order to actually use some for you. I mean, I think Christ is going to come back and he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? And there are some people who are going to say, well, I spent it all on myself. In fact, I spent more than I had and now I'm in debt, right? And so here's the bill, Lord. Jesus said, I gave you and I gave you and you just wanted more and more and more to spend on yourself. And some are going to use the same excuse as this master. God is a harsh taskmaster. God only makes demands. He never gives. I don't want to work for Him. I don't want to serve Him. He's never doing anything for me except for the fact that He made you and He lets you live on His world and He feeds you and He lets you breathe His air and He loves you more than you could ever imagine. This man's accusation in verse 21 is blasphemy. It's slander. The king has already proved it to be untrue with how he has treated the previous two servants. I find his response extraordinary. Verse 22, he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected the interest. You you notice he doesn't deny the accusation. Instead, all he does is take this man's own reasoning and uses his own logic to condemn him. If you truly believe that about me, you would have at least put, if you thought I was severe and harsh, you would have at least put it in the bank and collected interest. Right? This servant is either lying or he's stupid. He's either irrational or he's making excuses to justify his disobedience. I think the real reason he didn't multiply the minor because it's hard. It requires work. It's challenging. And instead of expending his energy to build the master's estate, he decides to enjoy the comforts of his master's home and the food of his master's table and the bed, sleep in the master's bed. He's just going to live off all the master's world and do nothing for the master's honor. And therefore, I think the master comes to him. And I, it's shocking to me how, what he refers to him. He calls him wicked. You see, the real issue is not that I'm hard. The real issue is not that you're afraid. The real issue is that you're wicked. 
Now, this is shocking because he doesn't squander the money. You notice that. He returns the money. This is kind of the safe middle path. It's not, it's not, so, it's not surprising that the faithful get rewarded, right? And we'll see in a moment the, the, his enemies are going to get judged. I don't think that's surprising. What's surprising is that the safe middle path where you just kind of don't do anything bad, but you ignore the stewardship is deemed by the Lord as wicked. He, he's condemned. According to verse 22, is it? Not, not because of, of what he did, but because of what he refused to do. There's two ways to oppose Jesus. You could be his enemy, actively oppose him, or you could even be his servant, at least in name only, and passively oppose him. I mean, who is this man? Who does he represent? Well, my friends, I think he represents those who claim to be Christ's. I think he represents those who are associated with the Christian community and yet don't live for the king. And, and therefore, if you're here this morning, which you are, of course, you are in danger of being a third servant. So the question I think this parable asks is, what are you doing with the, your life and the resources he's entrusted with you, you with? You say, well, I'm not giving any of it to anyone. I'm, not, I'm, not used, I'm just spending it on myself. Well, you're, you're just wrapping it in a handkerchief. You say, I'm not serving in any meaningful way. And well, I'm telling you, you're wrapping it in a handkerchief. And you say, I'm not sharing. I'm not telling anybody what I believe. Well, you're just wrapping it in a handkerchief. You say, I'm not using my job for King Jesus or the gifts in which he's given me. You're just wrapping it in, in a handkerchief. And you may say, well, I'm not doing a bad thing. I'm not yelling at my kids. I'm faithful to my spouse. Here, Lord, here's your mina. No harm, no foul. I'm just going to give it back to you. I didn't want it to begin with. And I'm telling you, if that's your attitude, you're wrapping it in a hanky and you're putting it under the mattress. And Jesus says to people like that, you are wicked. Those are His words. If all you're doing is trying to avoid sin... It's not a question of what you're avoiding. One day you're going to stand before him. I'm telling you this. You're going to stand before the king of kings. And he's going to say, what did you do with what I entrusted? And you do not want to say, well, I didn't do anything. As you see the result in verse 24. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you. That to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You see the objection there as he takes the mina from him. That's not fair. This guy already has ten. Why does he get more? But if you think about it, is that not what you would do? If you had someone managing your retirement account, and maybe you gave him a sum of money and you check back in ten years and say, well, how's the investment going? And they say, well, you know... Um, I put your money in my sock drawer. All right, do you want it? Let me go get it for you. And what would you say? Well, that's great. Thanks. Right? Oh, you know, keep up the good work. You say, give me my money back. Right? In fact, I'm going to give it to the guy who got me a thousand percent return. Right? He's going to give it to the guy who's actually going to multiply. Take that money from him. Give it to the man who's ten. So what's going on here? What, what, what's happening with this guy? And, and it's, it's interesting. There's a great debate as to who, what, what, what is the eternal state of this third servant. And about half the people I read, half the commentaries and sermons said, okay, well, he, he's just a Christian who, who gets, is saved but is not rewarded in any way. Just kind of makes it in. And, and you know, that many people believe that. And I, I assume you can believe that 
I study this passage and I can't come to that conclusion. After all, the Lord does call him wicked. The Lord does say, I will condemn you, verse 22. And I don't, by the way, I don't know how you believe Jesus loves me, Jesus died for me, which of course is essential for salvation, and at the same time, think the Lord is severe and takes what is not, doesn't belong to him. I don't know how you bring those together. In fact, when I think he says, take the mina, he's saying, you don't get to keep my blessings. I'm going to leave you with nothing that belongs to me. So everything beautiful, everything good, everything soul-satisfying and joy-producing, that belongs to King Jesus. Give it back to me, and the servant is left with what belongs to the servant. Namely, despair and anguish and anger. And there is, I think, a great warning here not to confuse loving Jesus with believing a set of facts about Jesus. I don't. Those are not the same thing. And if you say, I believe the set of facts, but there is no love in your heart producing action in your life, that is not sufficient. If you truly rejoice in the facts, it will change you. Do not confuse faithfulness to Jesus with praying a sinner's prayer one day, or raising a hand, or walking an aisle, or sign a card, or whatever it is, or even being baptized. Right? That is not the same. We need to pray to Him and be baptized. But that should, if it's genuine in our heart, lead to change in our life. This man called Jesus Master. He said to Him, Lord, right? But His actions are proving otherwise. You know, Jesus says to me, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Many who say that will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they have not done the will of my Father. He'll tell another parable where he says there was a, a man who had two sons and he told him to go work in the vineyard. And one son said, okay, I'll go. And the other son says, no way, dad, I'm not going. And then Jesus says later on, the one who said, I'm not going, changed his mind and went. And the one who said, yes, I'll go, did not go. And then Jesus asked the question, who does the will of my father? It's of course the man who goes. It's the man who does Loving God is not shown in your words alone. It's shown in your action. As Jesus teaches us here, in fact, there's one more verse in this parable, which is somewhat surprising, certainly startling. But as for these enemies of mine, verse 27, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Now these are not the servants. These are the citizens. Remember verse 14? Jesus hasn't forgotten them. And so this is gentle Jesus, right? Who will never hurt anybody. Saying, you don't want me to be king? And slaughter them in front of me. And some may hear that and they say, well, if that's the way this king is, I don't want him. And I would suggest to you that is totally illogical. That if that's the way the king is, what better reason for you to be reconciled to him? What better reason for you to come to Him? Because Jesus will return and He will judge. And some will be commended, well done. Some will be condemned. Some will be welcomed in. Some will be banished. Some will come into this place called heaven, living upon a new earth for all eternity. Others will be cast to hell. And I know that's not popular today. In our culture, we believe in salvation by death, right? It's no longer sola fide. It's sola morte. All you have to do, you want to be saved, you die, right? And all you just go right to heaven. And I'm telling you, it's not true. And, and you find that nowhere in Scripture, right? Just because someone dies doesn't mean they go to 
a better place. Jesus will divide humanity. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, or maybe it's 2nd, Jesus will be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the Gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. So what do we do during the Master's delay? If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. I, I plead with you to consider that one day you're going to stand before this man, Jesus. Are you ready for that day? Are you ready to stand before God and give an account of your life? You say, well, how, how can I get ready? The Bible is very clear how you get ready. It is not by going out and doing a bunch of good things. It's simply by surrendering your life to Jesus. You bow your knee to this King and say, I submit. I believe you died on the cross out of your great love for me and your love for the Father to bear all the penalty of my sin upon yourself. You took my punishment upon yourself and then three days later, you rose from the grave and you are now King of kings and Lord of lords and I surrender my life to you. You're my King. And once you do that, then what do you do? Then you start serving Him. Loving our King means laboring for the kingdom. You understand that? If you love the King, you will labor for the kingdom. And so you serve. You serve with fervency. You shake off complacency. You start looking. Where can I serve? How can I grow God's kingdom? What can I do for my king? You take risks. You, you risk your reputation by living for Jesus. And you risk re- relationships by diving deeper with, into people's lives. And you risk financial cushions by giving generously. I don't know if you've seen the Christian t-shirt that says, Live so the preacher doesn't have to lie at your funeral. Now, just for clarity, I don't make it a habit of lying at funerals. But I am pour yourself into the kingdom today. Start today. Moms, take, take a couple minutes and read your child's favorite Bible story with them today. Every mom, take your children today and say, we're going to open the Bible and we're going to read it to you. Dads, Put down the remote today, halftime maybe. Look over to your spouse and say, Honey, let's pray together. Lead your family. So we're going to pray together. Take, take five minutes. Start today. I want to pray for you. Maybe you lay your hands upon her shoulders. Let me ask God's blessings on you. Single people, right? start, start work in the nursery. Sign up. Right? Practice on other people's kids before you have your own. And at the same time, allow exhausted parents an opportunity to sit shoulder to shoulder every once in a while so they can worship God together. Bless them in that way. Invite your neighbor today. Find a neighbor. Say, hey, can you want to come over for dinner sometime this week? So that you can talk to them about Christ. Start serving. Start giving. Loving your king means laboring for the kingdom change that you might labor for him of course we are as we close this 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 morning still morning time right Um, we're not saved by our service to him you would understand that in fact we're saved by his service to us remember that before christ was king he was our servant 
And He faithfully served us by dying to pay for our sins, including the sins of poor stewardship. And in fact, He served us so faithfully, He did such a good job with what was given to Him. The Father said to Him, Well done. And He did not say, I will place you over ten cities. He says, I will place you over the entire universe. As the Lord Jesus said, as resurrected from the grave, all authority in heaven and earth has been what? Given to me. He has it all. And therefore, friends, we don't serve Him to earn His approval, but we have it. And in fact, we would have no other master. And so what, what, what I'm trying to do today, and I think what Jesus is trying to do today, is not fill you with guilt. I mean, the last thing we should think is, yeah, I'm just the worst. Why don't I do what I'm supposed to do? I need to change what's wrong with me. No, friends, stewardship is not like what we have to do. It's what we get to do. It's what we're stupid if we don't do. Right? He loves you more than anything you can imagine. And He'll reward you for what you have done. You and I ought to be floored by this privilege that I'll stand before the King of Kings, the ruler of the universe, who's a generous and loving King. And He delights, it is His delight to bless you. Why would you therefore live any other way? Our Father in Heaven, we are so thankful for the goodness of Jesus. And I, I stand, and we, brothers and sisters, stand here where we are not saved by our stewardship. We're saved by Christ's. And He has so wonderfully and beautifully served us that it, I think it probably should be our delight to serve Him if you never acknowledge it at all. And yet in abounding grace and kindness... You say, I want to bless you. You delight to bless. And so we, I, I think everyone in this room, myself, chief among them, Father, we can, we can serve and change out of our love for you. And so help us. Help us to live in light of the truth that we all will stand before King Jesus one day and he will ask us, what did you do with the life I gave you? Help us with joy. Prepare for that conversation, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.